0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the songs that remind us of that glorious night uh, where we see that you penetrated the darkness with your light and that you, God, took on flesh to enter into this sinful, broken world in order to be our Savior. And Lord, we praise you for that. And it's this Christmas season that we uh, remember uh, that glorious day that you were born in order to give us life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I believe children are dismissed at this time to uh, head back to your (coughs) classrooms. It is a really special day today, ordination service, and I just wanted to give a brief word or two of explanation on what an ordination service is, why we do it, and uh, I think you'll see what a special day it is. Um, if you look at the the, the path of the gospel, uh, of course, it begins way back before uh, in, in creation, where God promised to bring a, to send a Messiah who would uh, be the serpent slayer, who would defeat sin. And then the gospels declare that his name is Jesus, and the Christmas message is that he took on, God took on flesh in order to enter this, this world to uh, be the perfect, sinless lamb. And so as they went out and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, people responded in faith, and they were called out of the, the sinful world and called into the, to, uh, the community of faith. And that word called out ones, the Greek word is ekklesia, the English word is church. And so the church are those who are called out by God to, the, to faith in the gospel. And then as the apostles went out and proclaimed the gospel, there were these little clusters of believers in these different towns. And we read, for example, in several places, but one example is in Titus. Paul instructs the local church uh, to appoint elders. It says in Titus 1.5, This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so each local collection of believers called out ones were to have elders or shepherds uh, who would care for them. And then he describes the type of elders they should appoint. And this is just one of the many places in the scriptures that we have instructions. But it says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, which is another term used for elders, elders, overseers. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And it goes on with many other uh, descriptions. But Jared, uh, we as a church, as elders, and as a church have voted, have examined your life, uh, have examined examined your doctrine, uh, your beliefs, and we as a church believe that you fit the qualifications of an elder. And we are excited to uh, set you forth as an elder. We already did that as a church officially uh, by voting. Uh, and when we as a church voted, we were saying we voluntarily voluntarily submit to your leadership and to your authority, God-given authority in our lives. And that's a huge responsibility that we know you take seriously. Uh, in Hebrews, it says that we as elders will give an account to the Lord for each soul. Uh, and that's been a huge uh, reason we do church the way we do here. And so it's an awesome opportunity to, uh, uh, to have this service, and the ordination portion of it really is like we see many times in Acts, as, uh, we, as Maggie's mentioned, how much what we do, we try to be biblically faithful and intentional. We see they laid hands on those, those ministers of the gospel and set them apart, and that's really what today is. It's a public affirmation that you have been set apart, called as an elder of this body, this local church. Uh, we are setting you apart. At the end of the service, we will ask you and Kristen to come and kneel on these kneelers. And we will come by, and I'll give instructions who, but we'll come by one by one, not as a group, but one by one, laying hands on you, praying for you, uh, symbolically sending you, setting you apart uh, as an elder of this church. So I'm excited, though. We asked, uh, we asked Jared, who, uh, who had a huge influence in your life? Who, who has been your spiritual mentor that we might invite and come to speak. And he quickly said, Ryan Polk. Uh, Ryan is the associate pastor at Trinity Baptist Church in Norman, Oklahoma. He has served there for 19 years. Uh, he is married to Kara and he has uh, four beautiful children Cooper, Marin, Maddie, and Malia. Did I say it right? Malia? Malia. She's like, <laughs> get it right, Tracy. It's Malia. And so, uh, and Malia. So we're excited to have all four of your beautiful family with us and your wife with us. And uh, we're excited to have you uh, share the gospel with us today. He has been, he was Jared's sixth grade Sunday school teacher. So if you got something you want to know about Jared, Ryan's the guy to know. And so uh, he has invested in Jared's life. He continues to be his mentor. Uh, Jared says he, you still continue to be his mentor and a close friend. And so, uh, Ryan, with uh, no more introduction, I invite you to come, break the Word of God open with us, and then afterwards I will uh, invite them up for a time of challenge. All right.
1: Thank you very much. Well, it was great to be with you today. It's a privilege to be here and to get to preach this message for Jared. I started at Trinity in May of 1998. Jared was promoting into the youth group, and No one is more surprised 20 years later than me to be here with this guy becoming an elder. I don't have very long, uh, so what I'm going to do is I will sell stories afterwards uh, of Jared, and to be honest, the better ones involve Kristen from college. Uh, So we have those, but this is a tremendous privilege. Jared... um, and In Third John, the Apostle John writes that he has no greater joy than to see his children walking in truth. And that's true certainly from a view as a parent, but certainly for those of us who are in ministry and get to see people come through, and they come through as students or they come through as people you're getting to minister to, and they begin to transition uh, to peer and friend. Uh, it's a real joy. And so today to talk to him and to speak to you as a church about what it means to be an elder, what it means to pastor and to shepherd a body of people is such a uh, privilege. You know, it's one of the most unique relationships in all the scripture, the relationship of a church uh, with its pastors. It's one that's often most uh, misunderstood as well from unbiblical, unrealistic, crazy expectations placed on pastors to lazy, authoritative, and everything in between uh, actions of leaders. How do we manage this? What does the scripture actually say? And at the heart of the issue, we find that one of the things that holds us back oftentimes is that we fail to grasp the greatness of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, to be the church. John Piper, when he's preaching on this, just lists a few things that believers ought to keep in our minds just as we think about what it means when we come together as the gathered ones. It's the most important thing that happens. It's far more eternally important than most things that we give our lives to. Piper mentions, he says, we We gather as a people that belong to God. We are his own possession. A people that are chosen before the foundation of the world. A people that are conformed to be the image of Jesus. People bought with divine blood. New creations. People who are indwelt by the spirit of the creator of the universe. I mean, those words just ought to hang heavy. The creator of the universe has said, I'm going to dwell with my people. We've been made holy and we are co-heirs And we reign with Christ. If all this is true according to the scripture, then how God has organized us and how we're to walk with one another, how we're to be led, how we are to follow ought to be of equal importance to us. So I'd like to show you today, just briefly, two key foundations, and then I want us to answer three questions together. And I'm going to be in two passages And uh, one of them is just one verse. It's a verse that Tracy alluded to. If you got your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to open them or turn them on to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. That's where we'll, uh, that'll be kind of our focal point and the one that we come back to in a moment to answer the three questions. But the writer of Hebrews, as he's closing his letter and we know how these things are as as you're finishing up what you're about to say, oftentimes the things at the end are some of the most important that you want people to know And the author of Hebrews, as he's writing to this church and writing to these Christians, in verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we'll come back. I wanted to start with that text to let you know where we're going But we'll come back to that in a minute. The other place you can turn to is John chapter 10. So I said we're going to have two key foundations. And what we like sometimes is just like an elder is supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and the church is supposed to do these three things, and then we just kind of go forth. But those are all true, but they are built on a solid foundation. And the first one is this, and that is Jesus Christ himself is the chief shepherd. As Tracy alluded to earlier, there's three primary passages. We have, you know, uh, 1 Timothy, we have Titus 1, and we have 1 Peter 5 that begin to give the job description, if you will, of an elder, of a pastor. And what's interesting about all those passages is they are very light on action. They're very light on he should do these things. And they are incredibly weighty and heavy on character. The biggest issue that the scripture provides the church of Jesus Christ for elders and for shepherds is who they are, not what they can do. As a matter of fact, we find that the the elder must be able to teach, he is to watch over his home, and he is to shepherd the flock. Those are really the main action things given in those three passages. Everything else is what's his character? What is he like on the inside? What's he like when no one's watching? What's he, what is God making him? And in the passage in First Peter, one of the things that Paul tells him, he goes, as a fellow shepherd, shepherd shepherd these people with joy, not under compulsion. And then he gives some other things there that they're supposed to do. You should read that passage. It's really good. And when he gets to the end, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, right? And the idea there is he recognizes that his authority to elder, to be an elder, to shepherd the church, is derived from one place, one place only, and that's from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief shepherd. It's his church. He is the head. All the rest of us who God calls as pastor, teachers, elders, shepherds, all those meaning the same thing, and he has given them to the church, they serve as stewards to what God has. The church belongs to Jesus. He died for it. He bought it. He will be the one that comes and gets us. The rest of us serve at his pleasure and for his pleasure. The second foundation that we have to see is that not only is Jesus the chief shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd. And so what we find here in John chapter 10, excuse me, in John 10 is this. We get, it's an interesting thing to me as we walk through this, that as the, the passages that describe what an elder is supposed to do, they use the term shepherd and their descriptions of what ought to take place really are shepherding terms. And then we go look in John 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And then he describes why he's good. So I'd like to read that passage with you this morning and then look at some characteristics of what makes him good that also provide a path or an example for all of us who are in the ministry, all of us who are elders to follow. Read with me in John 10, starting in verse one. Jesus says, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. And this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture or rest. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they, have, that they may have life and have it abundantly, for I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Such a beautiful passage to see Jesus and how he relates to his sheep as the shepherd, and there's seven things. Let me just give these to you quickly. You can mark them in your Bible if you want to. First, he knows the sheep. You cannot shepherd at a distance. You can't shepherd at a distance, all right? Sheep need to be guided. They need help. They need to be fed. They need to be taken places. where They need to be able to, to go get food. And there's all these responsibilities And sometimes it becomes easy to treat people in more programmatic ways because it's easier and more organized, but it doesn't work that way. Jesus was the Good Shepherd because he knew the sheep. And we're talking about a knowledge here that's intimate, not just by position and title, but by voice and familiarity. They knew him so well when he spoke. Secondly, he leads and goes before them. The Good Shepherd is never asking or leading people that he's not taking. He's not asking them to do things he's not willing to do, that he's not setting the example, that he's not setting the pace, but he leads, he goes before them. Thirdly, the good shepherd is followed. Now, this seems kind of like a given. just kind of one of those dull places in the scripture. If someone's going to be leading something, obviously, they're going to be followed. But where this really comes for the role of an elder is sometimes we lead by title or by authority. And what Jesus seems to be saying here is he's the good shepherd because he leads by relationship. He leads relationally to the point of people want to follow. It doesn't mean that we always agree, right? When at times, when, when we see this working itself out in the life of the church, sometimes as members of a church, we'll say, well, I just don't, I don't know if they got this one right. Or I think, I think I might be able to do this better. And here's the thing. You may be, and are probably right on both, right? But the issue is our heart. They will give an account to God for every decision they make, every single decision, every prayer that they pray, every meeting that they have, every study that they lead, every sermon that they preach, they will give an account to God, which is why James says, listen, those of you who teach, you face a stricter judgment. And We will give an account, not for whether or not we were right, whether or not we had more ability, more leadership skills, but whether or not our heart was right that we submitted and followed and trusted God who gave the leaders to the church. If they're wrong, this is what I tell people all the time, if they're wrong, God will deal with it and probably way better than you will. right? But we need to worry about being right. We are followers. Number four, it says he gives them life. Elders and shepherds are life-giving. This means that when you look at the character qualities for how they live, how they lead, they're not doing it forcefully or overbearingly, all right? That they love the sheep, they speak life, they edify, they encourage, they affirm, they rebuke when necessary, they correct when essential, but they give life. Number five, it says he lays down his life He lays down his life for his sheep. My pastor back home says that ministry so often is is managed pain. That we give our lives for the sheep. And here's the deal, and, and I don't know how to communicate this, and sometimes it's way easier for someone who doesn't see you guys every week to come in and tell you how this works. And I tell guys this when they we have a lot of college kids and over the years many of them have come and met with me and talked to me about seminary and they wanna go into ministry and one of the first questions I usually ask them is there anything else that you can see yourself doing? Is there anything else? Because if there is, you will feel that pull from day one. And it's not to say that the ministry is not a joy, it's the absolute greatest joy because what you're seeing is the God of the universe working in people, either giving them life eternal life, or growing them, or watching them change. But it's a life of surrender. Some of you all are working in the medical field and, or other fields, and you understand what it means to be on call. That is the life of the ministry, except there's not a week on and a week off. It can happen at any time. A member gets ill. A member goes through something difficult. I shared the other night. I, I gave a form of this message to a group the other night, And said, you know, I've never seen it once where massive marriage problems, massive marriages, or massive problems with children, a huge sin issue, or any of those things happened at a time that was convenient for me or my family. Those calls usually come at the worst time. I've been at holidays on the phone talking with people who are going through terrible things. And that's not a complaint. It's the reality of the situation. Our lives are laid down. Number six, he defends and protects Jesus is telling us in the passage that wolves are real. The testimony earlier shared that with us. Satan does not like what we do. Anything that pictures, tells about, shares the gospel will be attacked, including godly leadership and godly following. Satan is not stupid. He's actually very crafty, the scripture tells us. Way easier than bringing down 300 of you is to bring down one of the elders that will have the same repercussions and harm for the church. So Satan is attacking and it's the elder's job to jump in and defend and to protect. And number seven, he doesn't shepherd because of money. He's not a hired hand. He does it because it's a calling, because God has worked in his life, because God has called him to do this. Now, in Baptist life, this is normally pretty easy that we don't do this for money. But the idea, though, is that we don't just do a job. That's what's underneath this. Jared's not going to clock out. There's no clock out time. There's vacations, there's rest, and there's these types of things. But by and large, it's on the clockwork. So that's why Jesus is the good shepherd. That's why there's an example for us to follow. So that brings us back to the Hebrews passage, three questions really quickly for the church and for Jared. The first one is, so if all this is true, what is the church to do? What is the role of the church? This is what's really interesting to me. When we look at this verse in Hebrews 13 is that there's way more about the church really than there is the, the, the shepherds. And so what are they to do? And there's three things. The first is it says that the church is to obey. The second is the church is to submit. And immediately, if we were really honest, underneath, you know, we don't do it at church because it doesn't look very spiritual, but underneath that, we're like, I don't like those terms, right? I mean, I like Jared. He's a nice enough guy. I don't want to obey him. Kind of like when we teach on marriage out of Ephesians 5, isn't it? Wives, you're supposed to submit to your husbands. And everyone's like, uh uh-uh, uh, I do not want to do that. But the scripture's incredibly balanced, isn't it? Husbands, we want you to love your wives like Christ loved the church, which showed that he went to the cross and he died for her. Husbands, that's your job. And a husband who's willing to do that is way easier to be followed. Elders, if you're following the model of the good shepherd, leading them, giving them life, laying your life down, defending and protecting, not doing it for a job or for money, but because you love them, you will be way easier to follow, way easier to be trusted and submitted to. So the church is to obey and to submit. It's a mutual submission. And then the third thing the church is to do is they're to do this, this following, this uh, submitting in a way that brings joy to the elders, right? And we'll talk about that in just a second. So what is the church, to, or excuse me, what are the shepherds to do? Second question. And there's two things that they're gonna do. The first is that they are gonna watch over the souls of the sheep. The word there that's used for watching is written and constructed in such a way that it means to watch and keep on watching. In other words, it's not a once and done. You don't, he's not just gonna watch a little bit and be done. His job and the elder's job is to know the sheep. All the way back in Proverbs, there's a little verse that says, know well the condition of your flocks, right? That's the job of an elder. And there's several things that he should be watching over. He should be watching over the word, right? His job is to know the scripture, Right? To know the scripture, to teach the scripture, to apply the scripture, to speak the scripture. So when you come to Jared or one of the other elders and you say, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do you think about this? And he starts with saying, well, here's what I think. All right, That's already bad counsel. The first answer Jared and the other elders ought to give is, this is what the scripture says. All right? Let's go look at the scripture and see what the scripture says. That's where we get our authority. That's where we get... Uh, a righteousness that comes and that will obey, that will honor Christ. It comes from watching over the word. Secondly, elders are to keep watch over their own conduct. We live in a day, a very recent day, to where every time we turn on the news, there's the expectation of someone that's famous and we've heard of has messed up royally. And all that ought to be it ought to sadness and grievous, but it also be, ought to be great reminders that says, if not for the grace of God, that could be me. And we ought to watch close our conduct. Take every precaution necessary. And the church can help with this too, by the way. Don't put your elders and leaders in situations that even raise a question about them being above reproach or not. Thirdly, they're to watch over the lives of the sheep. When they, when they ask you how you're doing, And you're like, fine, which is the number one church answer all the time, right? That's like going to the doctor, making an appointment, and you're not feeling well. And when he asks you how you're feeling, you say, I'm all right, right? When elders ask you how you're doing, you share. They are watching over your lives. They will pray, they will teach, they will help. And fourth, they're to watch for threats and for danger. This could be false teaching, this could be for sin. This could be for numerous other things, but they're to watch for threats and be able to protect you. So they watch over the souls of the church and elders are also supposed to give an account. And here's what I think the giving an account means. I think it's two things. I think they give an account both for how they watched, right, their faithfulness, but I think they will also give an account for what they watched over meaning that the sheep that they watch over and the things that were going on in the lives of the sheep are also part of their responsibility. So when you put these together, this is our important third question. We know what the church is to do. We know what pastors are to do, what the shepherds are to do. What is the result of these if both of these are done? Look at the end of this verse. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Shepherds receive joy from their shepherding, and that becomes an advantage to the whole church when they are doing what they're supposed to do and they love the church that God has given them and they love the sheep and the people that they're over and they are shepherding with joy and you are following and you are asking for their leadership and you are going where they take you, there's great joy. And then the scripture turns around and says, but listen, we're not just doing this to make elders happy. This is the ultimate advantage to you as the body of Christ that they would do this with joy. We do what God calls us to do, both as shepherds and as the members of the body. God gets all the glory and we get benefit from that. Elders are doing it with joy, which makes them want to shepherd better and invest even more. And you all get the advantage. He calls men to be shepherds. He gives them to his church. He calls the sheep to follow and he gives them shepherds to lead them. Notice that both of these though, I find this to be one of the most interesting things and I'll close with this. Do you notice both of these are such humble callings? There's not, there's not a lot of bragging in the calling of being a sheep. I mean, there's, there's more majestic animals that we could all relate to, right? And when we think about the job of a shepherd, especially as Jesus would have used it in his day, there's nothing glorious about that job. It was outside. It was a lot of work. It was hard work. It was alone, right? It was unthanked work. It was unnoticed. All of these things, two humble callings, when done right, lead to supernatural benefits for God's church. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for Jared. I thank you for this church. And Lord, I pray that you would use him, that you would build him up, that you would work in the lives of these leaders, work in the lives of this church. And it would all be done for the sake of your gospel, to reach people for Christ, and to grow people more into the image of Jesus. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. At this time, I invite Jared and Kristen to come stand with me, please. We talk a lot about... uh, about the elder, but really we know, Kristen, that uh, you, the two of you became one flesh, as God called you to, and we know that it's uh, a huge responsibility on the spouse as well. You will pay a, uh, a heavy cost uh, as the two of you die to self, to, to give your lives in service of the church, and so uh, we, we don't want you to think that we don't pray for you as well, and so I know the church loves you as well, and we'll pray for you. At this time, I would like to just go through some ordination vows with you, Jared, and uh, if you will answer audibly uh, as the church testifies. Do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule, of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and the covenant of this church that contain that, that, that they contain the truth taught in the Holy Scripture? I do. Do you promise that at any time if you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements of uh, in the statement of faith and the covenant, you will on your own initiative make known to the pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow i do do you subscribe to the government and the discipline of norris ferry community church i do do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the lord i do with god's help have you been induced as far as you know your own heart to accept the office of elder from the love of god and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son i have Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting these truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I do, with God's help. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, and will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life, and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? I will, by the grace of God. Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church, and to devote yourself to prayer, to the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Norris Ferry Community Church and the entire Church of Jesus Christ will be blessed? I am, with the help of God. Would the members of this church please stand? And please answer aloud as well. Do you, the members of the Norris Ferry Community Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as elder, as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry? And will you work with him humbly and cheerfully that by grace... By the grace of God, you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership, to which the Lord has called him, to the glory of God and to the honor of God. At this time, I'd like any men who have been ordained for either deacon or any other such ordination by by a a church, and if you're a community group leader and co-leader, just come stand and file down here, and we will have a season of prayer. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as you've instructed us in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, I pray that your church will obey the leaders and submit to them for, their, for they keep watch over their souls as those who will give an account. I pray that the, the men that we ordain today and the rest of the elders will be able to do this with joy and not with groaning. And Father, I pray with Peter as a fellow elder, that these men shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have us. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And not domineering over those in our care, but being examples to the flock. And Lord, when you, the chief shepherd, appear, I pray that you will receive, the un- that you will give the unfading crown of glory. And also pray that we will all clothe ourselves with humility. Toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I pray we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time you may exalt us, casting all our anxieties upon you because you care for us. May we be sober minded and watchful, knowing the adversary the devil prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And may we resist him firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brotherhood all throughout the world. And after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. And to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Y'all come up and tell them how much you love them. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Have a merry, merry Christmas week. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.